0: following is a continuation in our Covenant Theology series. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for giving us your word, all of it. We thank you for the hard parts, we thank you for the encouraging parts, and we just ask that your law would speak into our hearts, Lord. Help us to be transformed by what you have given to us. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So there was a seminary professor a while ago, many, many years ago, in 1976, that describes the law this way, and I think this is actually super helpful for us. The law is the light that reveals how dirty the room is, but it is not the broom that sweeps it clean. Let me say that one more time. The law is the light that reveals How dirty the room is, but it is not the broom that sweeps it clean. The reason I start with that is because we're talking about God's covenant with Moses tonight. The giving of the law, the promise of the law. And the law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. And the purpose of the law was never to save people, but rather to show people their need of a savior. It was supposed to give light to sin. Just as turning on a light is going to show you how dirty and unclean your room is, that's exactly what the law serves to do. It never saves, but it gives us a means to see how we are to live in light of all the promises that God has already made up to this point. So God gives us this law to show us how we are to live as God's people. He promised in our last covenant that he was going to make a nation of Abraham. And this law shows us how that nation is to live. So if you're taking notes tonight, here's our main point. God's covenant with Moses gives us a blueprint for how we are to live in relationship with him. God's covenant with Moses gives us a blueprint for how we are to live in relationship with him. So we're going to spend the bulk of our time in the first six verses of chapter 19 of the book of Exodus. So if you will go ahead and turn your attention there, I'm going to read the first two verses to start us off here. Here's God's word to us. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. This is actually a little bit fascinating here. So we're told that they arrive at the foot of Sinai at the third moon since they had left Egypt. And it's actually pretty important. This is about 50 days after Passover. It's about the same timing of the Pentecost after Passover. So if you look at the New Testament and the Old Testament, the giving of the law is about the same time period as the Pentecost was after the Passover in the New Testament, about 50 days after Passover. And here they arrive at the foot of Mount Sinai, where they're going to spend the next 11 months at the foot of this mountain. And remember, we're in the context of them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. It's a long time period, but the interesting part is these 11 months that they spend here at the foot of Mount Sinai, we're going to get the books of Leviticus, Numbers 1 through 10, we're going to get much of the book of Exodus. This is pretty important, the fact that they're here for these 11 months. God is seeking to tell them something, to teach them something. Even though the Mosaic Covenant is, again, an extension of the Covenant of Grace that we spoke of a few weeks ago. We're going to see that in a little bit. But this covenant shows God unveiling His law to His people. And what God is doing here is He's seeking to put our understanding of the law in a proper perspective. Because oftentimes when we hear the word law, what emotion comes up? School? (laughs) Okay. Okay. When we hear the word law, we're like, ugh. We don't like that. We don't like rules and regulations on us. But these actually serve for our good. So... The law entails rules and regulations. It involves a lot of work. And even when rules and regulations are for our good, we tend to not like them. I guarantee you there are rules that your parents have for you where you think it's the stupidest rule. But deep down, you know that it's for your good. When your parents tell you to not eat a thousand cookies, that may sound stupid to you, but it is for your good in more ways than you can think of. So let's look at verses three to six. to the people of Israel. God wants us to understand that this covenant relationship that he has been establishing with his people, he's reaffirming that it is gracious here. You may not see that, because it sounds like he's saying, if you will just do these things, you will receive the blessings. But I want you to hear what he's saying. Israel didn't deserve or earn this relationship. It was graciously given to them by God. In fact, they were so impatient, waiting for Moses. What did they do? before he got down. Think about your Bible history. Pretty important event. Yes, they got so impatient waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain that they built a golden calf and they started worshipping in idolatry. But they're so impatient, they can't even wait on Moses to come down from the mountain, and they're already disobeying God. Yet God still loves them. Think about that. They just did the complete opposite of what God wanted them to do, and he still reaffirms his covenant with them. They would go on spending the rest of the wilderness wondering, complaining about everything. And God still loved them. He gives them these covenantal reminders. Okay, Moses goes to God. God reminds him of three things here to serve as a reminder of his relationship with him. In verses 3 to 4, look at this. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He wants his people here and us to see this. He wants us to remember what he did to the Egyptians. So the Egyptians had Israel under slavery. They treated them harshly. God brought them away from this. The Israelites did nothing to make this happen. It was God's work. He's the one that hardened Pharaoh's heart. He's the one that brought the plagues. He is the one that split the Red Sea and brought them out of Egypt. God had made a covenant with Israel, and not with Egypt. Israel wasn't righteous. They never will be apart from the grace of God. But he's telling them how he dealt with Egypt to say, please remember what I've done for you because it was out of my love that I brought you out of this slavery, out of this awful life. Remember that. Oftentimes we have to think back on the really hard times for us to appreciate the good times. Israel wasn't freed from Egypt by some sort of rebellion or writing a complaint to the authorities or a war. It was by the gracious hand of God. Even at the Red Sea, if you remember, God tells them to stand still and watch. He wants to show his power. When they're hungry, he provides food. When they're thirsty, he provides water. The Lord graciously provided for them. And he says here in verses 3 and 4, I bore you on eagles' wings. Now this is actually a very curious illustration here because what happens with baby eagles, and this is news to me, is when a baby eagle gets to the point where they should be at the point where they can fly, a mother eagle will push said eagle, out of the nest and they'll start falling to the ground. And the point is for them to learn how to fly. And if the baby eagle gets too close to the ground, the mother eagle will swoop in and catch the baby eagle and bring it back to safety. That's kind of what is happening here. God has bore them like on eagles' wings. He is protecting them, watching over them, caring for them, putting obstacles in their way, things that are difficult, in order to show them that they need to truly trust And rest in Him. And the last thing He reminds them of is that He has drawn them to Himself. I've often used this illustration because I love it. In the New Testament, it talks about how no one comes to Me unless the Father draws Him first. And that language that is being used there is the picture of water being drawn up from a well. Water does not draw itself up from a well. Someone has to draw it. And here, God is drawing a people to Himself. And we're given the law. And we're given a lot of it. okay. And I just want to preface that there are different parts of the law. So there's the ceremonial law, which deals with the priests and and all the things that have to be done for cleansing and all that. And then there is the civil law, which deals with interactions between Israelites. And then we have the moral law. We only continue with the moral law because the rest of that was fulfilled in Jesus. So when we look at the law, we're talking about the moral law, the Ten Commandments, the things that God wants us to do, how to live. And we're given quite a bit of it, and one might think that because we have so much of it, that that's how we are to get in right relationship with God. But that's not the point. One professor, Dr. Ligan Duncan, puts it this way. It says, it's as if God is saying, tell the people, remember that I save you by grace, so that you won't forget that when I announce to them my household law, this law is not the means of their salvation. It is the goal of my redemption for them. It's not the cause of their deliverance. It's the goal of their deliverance. So the law is meant to give light to our sinners, to show us how much of a sinner we are and how much we need Jesus. When God says "Don't kill," it's because we are murderers, and we need to see that. When He says "Don't steal," it's because we are thieves as sinners. And he wants us to see that and see we have such a great need. We are adulterers or blasphemers. We want to do everything for ourselves, and the law shows us that, so that God can draw us to Himself. So what does this covenant mean for us? I want to read verses 5 and 6 again. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The Israelites weren't given two options here. God wasn't saying, you know, you can have law or you can have grace. They both go hand in hand. God's law to us is a grace. Him telling us to not murder each other is a grace to us. Because unless God told us to not do that, what would we do? We would murder each other. Our natural inclination is to do everything against what God desires for us. There's a common misconception that we need to separate the Old and New Testaments because that was just the law back then and now we have grace. It was all an extension of God's grace from the get-go. And as we have read in verses 5 and 6, it kind of sounds like there's some sort of separation, but there really isn't. Having just seen the grace that God has shown Israel in verses 1 to 4, Moses wouldn't come down from the mountain and tell them something different. This is, again, a giving of his grace. And every relationship has responsibilities. Okay? Every covenant has responsibilities. But as we have seen throughout all of these covenants, who bears the brunt of those responsibilities? God does. God is the one who bears the weight of these covenants, not us. Because if it was on us, what would happen? We would break the covenant immediately, right? So think about this. What are some uh, what are some responsibilities in a marriage relationship? When you're getting married, you have certain responsibilities. What are the types of things that they promise to the other person? No. Yes. Okay. Through sickness and health, through the ups and downs, whatever the language is, right, Elliot. Yeah. Yeah. So death do us part. That is a big commitment, right? Any marriage should be based on unconditional love. That's grace. When you, when you show unconditional love to somebody, you're loving them even when they're not nice to you. You're loving them even when they let you down, even when they turn their back on you. That's grace. That's unconditional love. But there's still responsibilities in a marriage, right? A husband and wife should show love unconditionally to each other. But there's still responsibilities like faithfulness, provision, protection, respect. That's the law piece right there. And that's the picture that we have with God's law. He gives us grace. We've already seen that from Genesis 3.15. He promised that he was going to send someone to be that grace giver. But he still gives us the law to show us how to live in light of that grace. And that's the whole point of this covenant. Dr. Logan Duncan continues and saying that we are to be His treasured possessions, we are to be a kingdom of priests, we are to be a holy nation. These are our responsibilities, but they're also blessings to us. The fact that He's the one that's making us this holy nation, that He is the one that's making us into this kingdom of priests. And the Mosaic Covenant that we're studying tonight, it's not saying that you and I need to keep God's law and He's going to bless us into being these things. We're already those things. He's just telling us how to live in light of those things. So I want you to think about this. So what is your natural tendency when it comes to rules? Some of us are naturally rule followers. Some of us are rule breakers. I was thinking about this as I was walking into Walmart last night. So as you're walking into Walmart, there's two doors. One of them says, they do not enter on it. And the other says, welcome to Walmart on it. Some of us, when we see that red sign, we immediately turn and we go through the, the one that says welcome. And some of us, knowing that there's still a sensor on the door, we don't care whether it says do not enter, we still go in the exit door. A lot of us are rule followers, and a lot of us are naturally rule breakers. Sometimes we like to figure out how far we can go with the rules. Here's a couple examples. Some people will go into a parking lot, and they're clearly not like fully in the space. They may not be over the line, but they're at the point where the person next to them, if they open the door, they're probably going to hit the door, right? But because you're technically in the space, you're like, ah, whatever, I don't care. Some of us will keep backing out of that space until we park that car perfectly, because that's just how our brains work. Some people will listen to the pastor on retreats when he says, lights out is at such and such a time. While others will say, well, technically the lights are out, so we can still talk and still be disruptive. Some might look at a packing list, and this is a true story. Some might look at a packing list and see a list of things to bring and not to bring, And others will look at that list and see, well, grappling hooks are not on this list, so I'm going to bring my grappling hook. And that is a true story. Everyone has tendencies to want to bend the rules and break the rules. That's just how we're wired. As sinners, you and I look at God's law and we see it as a hindrance. But God actually wants us to look at it as a picture of His grace. He's showing us what it means to live in covenantal relationship with Him. And ultimately, we see this in who? Jesus. He's the one that comes and fulfills the law perfectly, or we could never do it. The law was meant to help us. And we're going to close with Galatians 2.16. I'm going to ask Lily to come up and read that for us. So go ahead and turn there. Galatians 2.16-21 to 21. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will ever be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So looking back at our opening quote, the law is a light that reveals how dirty the room is, but it's not the room that sweeps it clean. The Mosaic law was never meant to give us life or salvation. It was meant to show us our great need of Christ. That's what the law is doing for us. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, when we look at the law from the Old Testament, that is supposed to reveal to us, I need somebody to be perfect for me. And that's what we live for. That's who we worship. We worship Jesus. Romans 10:4 says that for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And he's not saying it's the end of the law. He's saying that those that are relying on trying to live a perfect life, trying to live and fulfill all these laws on themselves, like, that has to die. Our pursuit of righteousness has to die. It can only be found in Jesus. That's why he says it's the end of the law. For, to everyone who believes. God graciously continues to reveal himself in these covenants. And tonight we see his giving of the law. So as God promised to Abraham that he would make a great nation for him, he's showing his people, this is how my nation is going to live. And this is how my nation is going to receive my grace. And this is how I'm going to show them how they are to live. So the law is a means by which we can honor God. It doesn't have to be a checklist for us. It can actually be a means that we look at it and we say, you know what? I want to do the opposite of what these laws say. I want to do the opposite of what God's word says. But because I love my Savior, I'm going to choose to do what the law says. No, we're not perfect. We're going to fail. We're all going to sin. We're all going to fall short, which is why we need grace. and That's why he gives it to us. So again, God's covenant with Moses serves as a blueprint for how we are to live in a relationship with him. Let's pray. And Father, thank you for your law. Thank you for your kindness and goodness to us. We do pray that as we unpack what this means for us a little bit more, that you would bless us and watch over us. Help us to uh, view your law as a delight instead of a hindrance, Lord. So I just pray for these students, pray for these leaders, pray for myself, that you would teach us more about yourself. tonight. Praise Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an ear out for more audio upcoming from WIM.